Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Flat circle of time, redeem me, reveal me to the self I was meant to be, and guide me down the mystery road that runs along the cliffs, by starlight and stranger's glance, enchant me now to the moon underwater. Salutations aplenty to you, good Sir Robin, and everyone else. It is I, John Robbins, landlord of the Moon Underwater here, and we are within the Moon Underwater, and I have to say, there's an awful lot of pelts knocking around. Here in the Moon Underwater, we invite a guest every week to create their dream pub. We're very excited about this week's guest. But before then, Robin and I have to touch base, we have to touch pints, we have to touch... Touch heads, shoulders, knees, and toes of all things publy. Uh, Robin, how how find yourself? I find myself well. It's lovely to touch your base. Yes, it's nice to be back in the moon underwater in what's been, you know, a fairly eventful week for us pubs wise. Mm. Um, what did we get up to last night? Well, I'm still feeling some of the uh, after tremors of the, <laughs> the pub quake, uh, but we went to Oxford. Uh, where we had been asked to give a talk to some of the students to inspire young minds. <laughs> and, um, and instead of inspiring young minds, we sort of explored our own minds at quite some length and depth, going back to the college bar and a couple of pubs. Uh, but we we talk uh, at some length about this on uh, the upcoming Behind the Cellar Door podcast, that's the bonus podcast uh, for Patreon subscribers. So if you would like to hear Robin and I really sort of talking ourselves into an emotional corner uh, <laughs> about nostalgia, the past, time travel, longing, desire, youth and age. And baggy trousers. And baggy trousers. It sounds like an Edinburgh show, that, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, <laughs> then you can head to Patreon to uh, support The Moon Underwater and uh, get the bonus episode, uh, Behind the Cellar Door, which is uh, released every month. Uh, but Robin, back into the correct realm. 
Um, you found yourself. We've touched base with each other. Our bases have touched. These pelts are very interesting. What's a pelt? An animal hide? It's an animal hide, but these have been sort of... They've been decorated with quite primitive artwork that's actually representing very technical, modern items. <laughs> nice. Are these ve- vegan hides? I suppose a vegan hide is just a carpet, really, isn't it? I don't know if they are vegan hides, to be honest. Uh, I don't believe the Moon Underwater is a vegan establishment. It doesn't... I don't think it serves any meat. But, uh, yeah, there's one... It's like a cave painting of a microchip <laughs> over there. So I don't know whether it's from a very, very advanced early culture or whether it's a sort of a modern artist having a right good laugh i like it it's very colorful i've got to say yeah there's a handprint drawing of the uh, blueprints for the uh the um the, the big building one of the big buildings the gherkin <laughs> the gherk. one of the big one of the big ones yeah uh how are you feeling in your own mind well i feel i felt better um yeah you know as we discuss on behind the cellar door Trip to Oxford, Jericho Tavern, the Harcourt Arms, College Bar. We were twice as old as everyone else there. Yeah. And we gave, well, I interviewed you about your time at university. And you gave a kind of very inspirational and moving speech. And then you absolutely went crazy on the pool table. (laughs) Had a... You beat everyone there. Met some lovely people. Yeah, met some lovely pints. Met some lovely pints. And, you know, yeah, I'd say I'm feeling a bit pint-tired today, I would say. you know. Yes, yeah, as if you've spent a, a long day lugging pints around the countryside. In a way, I yeah. have. I have, yeah. So, um, but, Robin, to, to maybe to re- allow us to forget ourselves for a moment, I did hear you sighing very... Very sort of virile sigh today. Yeah, sort of quite melodic. Um, it's almost a mating sigh. I was kind of like sighing for 18 musicians. I don't know if you know the Steve Reich piece. Lots of sighing, sighs going in and out of sync with each other. And... Right, different time signatures. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of sighing going on. So yeah, tell us who's been in touch and what they've been in touching. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah, had some lovely mists in. Um Great mist in. Do you remember last week we were talking about nicknames you might have for beers or favourite oh, yes. drinks and things like that? Pint We've had of a numbers. Ni- a pint of numbers, etc. We've had a nice one here from Michael. Hi, gents. My offering is high necking for Heineken as it hails from the magical town of Amsterdam. Like oh, that's it. a good one. High necking. Like it. Bit of doobie, doobie talk going on there. We've had another great one here from uh, Dale in Essex. Love this. Good afternoon, guys. Just a quick one on the nicknames for beers which you use in the pub. My mate Mick regularly orders a Jenny from the bar, much to the bartender's surprise. When further questioned on his choice, he replies, Amstel, Amstel, Jenny from the block. Oh, nice. A.K.A. Jennifer Lopez. Cheers from the Essex realm. Love that. Love that. Because you call it a Simon. A Simon. He's gone, Jenny. It's good stuff, man. It's sort of like modern, modern day pubney rhyming slang. Pubney rhyming slang. But you know, don't annoy your bartender. No. But you know, if they're in on the joke, great. Yeah, just spread the joy. <laughs> oh my god, I was in a pub the other day, and um, it was a Sunday, and they closed at ten, and I, I was I was at the bar at ten, and just oh, can you can I have a beer? 
and the the barmaid said all right then and I, I paid by my card and then like left a tip on the bar like I was in America oh wow but I was trying to be smooth yeah but then she said, "Oh, your pin didn't work. You need you, you need to <laughs> put the card in the machine." You know, <laughs> amazing. So I look like a right clown. Anyway, so sorry. Carry on. Just going to say, interesting point of pub etiquette from Oxford that we didn't discuss on behind the cellar door. So on the when we arrived, there was there were two tables left. We sat at one of them, and one of them had two half drunk pints on it. Oh yeah. And about half an hour later another group came in and sort of went to sit at this table and then saw the half-drunk pints on. Yeah. And I, I said to them, oh, I think those... I, I think the two people sitting there have gone out for a cigarette. And then I sort of made a joke, but, like, there's, I think there's a, a limit to the amount of time you're allowed to reserve a table in that scenario. And they'd not, we, they'd not been in the pub at all. Yeah. And, and then eventually the lady behind the bar just came and cleared those glasses away... But it's two points of order, really. How long, if you go out for a cigarette or out into the beer garden for a chat or something, how long are you legally allowed to maintain your base within the pub? Yeah. Question one. Question two, well, not question, more a statement. Because these people had clearly left the pub, it shows the importance of taking your pints back to the bar. Yeah. A, to help staff out when it's busy... But B, because if you haven't finished your pints, because these were like half drunk, two half drunk pints, people will think there's someone at that table. Get out. you got to get out, man. Yeah, definitely tidy your table. I think it's a good, good thing to do always when you leave. Take your glasses back to the bar. I noticed some people, I don't know if this is an American thing, put a beer mat on top of the glass to show that I'll be back for it. Yes, they do that. So I've been in bars in America where I've said oh, I'm popping outside and they put one on for you. Okay, that's quite nice. But isn't it also some sometimes used as a way to make sure no one's interfering with your drink? Yeah, but I mean, it's not the world's strongest defence in the world, but yeah, it's um, but that, that could be part of it as well. Anyway, yeah, just a bit of pub order there. On with the mist, more mists here. Now, this is a really interesting mist, John, because... Basically, Aisha, who's uh, written in, has thinks that she has worked out your secret pub. Right. Do you want me to read it out? Um, do you want to know if she's correct first? Um, yes, I want to know. No, no, no. I want you to read it out, but without using the name. So you want me to read it out without using the name? If possible, yeah. Do you want me to tell you if it's correct? No. Okay. I'll see if I can guess from the from the from the mist. Okay, so Aisha writes Dear John and Robin, I hate the thought of something being kept from me and have devoted my day of annual leave to following the clues for your secret pub. <laughs> Ten minutes walk from Broadcasting House, obviously, especially if Charles went there too. Wood panelling, tucked away location, certain beers on sale there, a bit of sleuthing has led me to the Don't worry, I have no desire to go there. I am not on social media and none of my friends would care. It was purely something to do. I work with four-year-olds and I always say keeping secrets is not good. Better to call it a surprise. Maybe I am way off. All the best. So, John, what are you thinking? Well, I, 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 I need you to tell me whether she's correct. She was. She got it. Uh, well done, uh, Aisha. Uh, well done. I don't think... I think when you're talking to children... Perhaps secrets. It is is good to tell them that it 
it's better to tell the truth and also to be open and honest about their experiences. I think with adults, you're allowed to keep the odd secret. <laughs> but what, what are you worried is going to happen with this pub, though? It just needs to remain secret. <laughs> so that, to me, it needs to be my secret. Right. But other people could do what Aisha's done here. Yeah, well, other people are more than entitled to do that, but other people... It, it has to be my secret to keep it special for me. It's a, it's a lovely... Well done for cracking the code, anyway. Well done for cracking the code. <laughs> the Da Vinci Code. Do you remember when someone you worked in Borders and someone came in and said, have you got a Da Vinci report? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, final mist. This is a great mist. Uh, this is from Jack Chambers, who's one of the elves at QI. Oh, hello, Jack. Hello, Jack. And this is a brilliant mist. Hey guys, love the podcast. I recently tried to complete London's least efficient pub crawl. I discovered the capital's most northerly, westerly, southerly and easterly pubs and attempted to do them all in a day. It was a balmy idea given the two-hour travel time between each pub. Oh, man. But I gathered a motley enough crew of eight pals to give it a go, Jack. And Jack has actually got some audio, which we're going to play for you now, of how this slightly insane, least efficient pub crawl went. I'm sitting here with Jack Chambers on the train to Purley. It is 10.21 and we are just beginning our wide pub crawl. Hi, I'm Jack and I'm one of the elves at QI. Here's the story of the time I tried to get my friends to do a 10 hour pub crawl with me. (laughs) What inspired this pub crawl? Um, I think I read an article online actually. Um, it was it was it was a as a general London pub article, and one of the bits of trivia they added right at the end was these four pubs that they'd located as the northernmost, southernmost, easterly most, and westerly most in the capital. So I thought, well, how much travel time is there between each one, and could we do them all in a day? And it would it be worth it? Would it be at all fun? And so that's what we're here to find out. Um, so we're on our way south, we thought we'd start south because the pub opens earliest. And I've roped enough friends to make this worthwhile. And um, yeah, we're on a southern service to Brighton. No, actually this one's to Rygate, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, no, no one's had a drink yet, it's quite early days. And um, we're hoping it'll be at least informative, if not entertaining. That's right. The plan was to visit four pubs only at the extreme compass points of the great capital. We assigned ourselves two hours travel time between each location and met at the Fox in Coolsdon. We were full of the joys of spring. The sun was shining, the Fox had served a nice breakfast, and we were already dreaming of a six-figure TV deal with the BBC for a Simon Reeve-style travel show, mostly showcasing the inside of a Thameslink train. Here's more from me on my motivations for the pub crawl. Okay, this is Jack here. I am a 28-year-old researcher for the TV show QI. I um, grew up in London, have a vague interest in trains. Who am I kidding? It's more than vague. But it's, um, it was an idea of mine to come on this pub crawl, partly because I'm interested enough in beer and in trains that it would be fun, but mostly because I'm enough of an attention seeker that I knew my Instagram story would make waves. Um, and... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the linchpin of the day and everyone coming is a friend of mine and hopefully they'll all get to know each other and become friends with each other.
We set off Tipsley via a bus back to Purley Station, where we take the Thameslink north to Cruise Hill near Enfield. So we've been to the first pub, it's the Fox in Coulson, very very nice, there's nice food on offer and lots of space and it's very rural but we'll probably find that with the other three pubs given that they're right on the edge of London. The first of our two hour legs was underway, except it wasn't really the first. We'd forgotten to take into account each member of the party's travel time to pub one and lethargy was already setting in. Here's Alex. Okay, we finished first pub. We're on our way north now to the Plough in Enfield, and we've got a taking Thameslink all the way. Uh, so I'm here with Alex. He's another member of the trip. Um, how, you know, what motivates you? Why are you on this trip? What's the point? Is it the trains or the beers? Or? Um, I wanted to get drunk in the most inconvenient and long-winded way possible. And also, you invited me, Jack, and we live <laughs> together. And so, if I told you what a stupid idea it was, it would be awkward at home. So here. I am. Wonderful as the company was, we had sobered up on the journey, so upon reaching the plough we were enthusiastic for more beer. The drinks flowed and the afternoon ebbed and before we knew it, dissent was stirring. We confirmed with our phones that the Piccadilly line was down for maintenance and decided we'd never get west without using the frankly hella expensive Heathrow Express. And so we stayed. The plough kept us happy with their espresso martini deals, and the disparate group grew less and less disparate. Manu tells us more from the platform at Cruise Hill. Okay, I'm here at Cruise Hill, we're um, our northernmost pub we've just done, and I'm here with Manu. And the day is is coming to an end, actually. Um, do you want to explain your motivations for coming on this pub crawl? Um, I'm an idiot, <laughs> and I didn't realise how long I'd be travelling for on public transport. Is that good enough? Yeah, I don't think any of us really did. And uh, that's why, spoiler alert, we've cooled the whole thing off. Um, we haven't. Well, we've done no- south to north, which we're quite impressed we with. Did and we're going to do west to east on another day. We yes. <laughs> yeah. No, we did half of it. I'm proud. Yeah, yeah, I'm proud as well. And did you have any nice drinks? Um, so this very dangerous woman introduced me to the espresso martini today. Not that it was my first one, but that was quite nice. Yeah, they surprisingly cheap, weren't they? It was very cheap. So there's your top tip is come to the plough in Enfield for cheap espresso martini. Yeah. So that was that. We blamed everything on unforeseen engineering works and set about focusing on the positives. We'd achieved something new. Not many people are likely to have had a pint in Croydon on the same day as a martini in Enfield. Plus, I like to think we put on a plucky enough performance when recounting it to our friends that they'll be clambering over each other to join us on part two of our special wide London pub crawl, Ockenden to Heathrow. Well, that's quite something. I think also, you I mean, even me being relatively familiar with London, you forget how far away its, its end points are. Yeah. But I do, I do think it's quite... <laughs> It, it's just obviously a bad idea from the start. <laughs> but it is. But I like the kind of determinedness of it. Like, we're going to do it even though it's a bad idea. And then not to do it because it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. But it did get us thinking if you have any other ideas of, like, kind of wacky pub crawls uh, that either we could, you've been on yourselves or you think John and I should go on, then please let us know. Yeah, what are the strangest themes you or reasons you've had for a pub crawl there? Because obviously Jack's trying to do like a geographical limit pub crawl. I do also find it very funny that one of his friends had an espresso martini in the second pub. <laughs> well, that's a good one to have. It'll keep the energy up. 
Yeah, but but it's just quite an odd pub crawl to sort of basically have, a, I guess the first one they went to is around midday. <laughs> pub number two, espresso martini. I could not have been, I would never have signed up to that pub crawl. It'd be like eating a meal one mouthful every half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Awful lot of time on the underground. Yes, yeah, it's, it's no good. I wonder if they took cans on the train. Yeah. Well, you're not allowed to. No. Well, you are on the overground. True. Um, yeah. Maybe we should do London Orbital. We should just go around the M25 going to every pub. <laughs> I don't think there really are any pubs on the M25. Well, it'd be quite easy then. Um yeah, just drive around the M25. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, send us your uh, strange-themed pub crawls or pub crawl challenge. Mm. Like if there's a challenge to do sort of certain pubs with certain factors and parameters. Yeah. What's that word? They all, You know, like the Sudoku YouTube guy we watch? What's he always going on about? The, oh. the Knight's Move parameter. The Knight's Move. Uh, it's something like that, isn't it? Yeah, something like the restri- constrictions, constraints. The Constraint. Yeah, so if there's a pub crawl with a knight's move constraint, I'd love to go on it. <laughs> and they're all primes. Yeah. Oh. oh, yes. But the knight's move means it can't be a prime. Yeah. But they're all primes. But when you turn them inside out, then the Sudoku's done. I yeah, love that guy. I love it. I love watching it because you feel clever. You feel like uh, you're getting them at the same time. Yeah, yeah. If you've but you're never not. seen this... <laughs> It's a it's a YouTube channel called Cracking the Cryptic, which is mainly about Sudoku, but it's also about uh, crosswords and how to solve them. It's really good. But there's one that's sort of went viral of him cracking what looks like an impossible Sudoku. Yeah. I think it's only got one number, hasn't it? Or has it got none? It's got none. I can't remember. It's like, it's, it's, uh, there's no, uh, if you gave me a million years, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, so it's a completely blank Sudoku with these rules. And he then has to sort of reverse engineer the Sudoku. It's very good. Anyway, it's nothing to do with pubs. It's nothing to do with pints. It's nothing to do with us, but it is very, very pleasing to watch. Yeah. Uh, So, Robin, um, we've had a nice little audio mist there. Do feel free to send in your audio mists. uh, And we look forward to uh, reading them out the next time that Robin sighs. Uh, But, folks, we need to prepare for our guest. I, I don't think I can have these pelts on display. They're too confusing. And I think they're some kind of trick from some artist. And a reminder that if you want to hear our story about our Oxford adventure, to uh, sign up to the, one of the top two tiers on our Patreon page, you can go to moonunderpod.com to find out more about that. And we wish you the well, well best. We wish you well best as we uh, get the moon underwater ready for this week's guest. Robin, Robin, I've just popped outside. Have you been aware of what the winds have been doing recently? Your winds? No, no, the many types of wind that we get uh, around the moon underwater. We get westerlies, horse latitudes, uh, trade winds and the doldrums. Mm. What is? Do you know what a horse latitude is? Uh, yes, very much so. But the question is, Robin, do you? It's something to do with throwing horses overboard, isn't it? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, 
I think I could probably uh, hazard a guess, though, that horse latitudes are a narrow zone of warm, dry climates between westerlies and the trade winds. Um, And they tend to be about 30 and 35 degrees north and south. Many deserts, from the rainless Atacama of South America to the arid Kalahari of Africa, are part of the horse latitudes. Wow. But But you didn't say why they're called horse latitudes. Uh, well, I would hazard a guess uh, that uh, that's not known. No one actually knows uh, why they're called horse latitudes. It's a, it's a secret. <laughs> uh, but all of the winds tend to converge on the alleyway that the moon underwater has revealed itself on tonight. And in order to track them, there's quite a, there's quite a sort of complex structure of sails in uh, opposite on the roof it's almost almost like there's a house with a ship's sails on top oh right like mary poppins uh like mp and um <laughs> at, at the top of the complex structure of sails what i'm trying to say is uh, that it would seem the etesian winds have begun to blow robin oh not them again <laughs> them again <laughs> yeah. and you know what the etesian winds signal oft they oft signal the arrival of a guest. 100% true and 10 points to Robin Door. And uh, speaking of doors and Robin, Robin is now approaching the door to open it because our guest is coming in and it's Phil Wang. Oh, hi, guys. What windy out there. It is windy out there. Did you feel yourself being buffeted from Afton, Swain and Portland Never? It was actually so windy, and there were so many winds coming in from so many different directions. They all actually cancelled each other out, mm. and it's actually it's actually remarkably still in some parts of that alley. So we it's almost like being in the eye of the storm. Exactly. Yeah. But 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 stray from that eye, and it's blustery as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah big time. Big time. Uh, well, welcome to the moon underwater, Phil. What did you like? How we've uh, what we've done with the place? It's it's beautiful. It's well, it's a port in the storm, isn't it? It's Calm. Oh. It's serene. It's warm. That would be a great name for a pub, the port in the storm. Ooh, maybe I have my answer there's already. Some, there's something very uh, comforting about sort of shelter in hard weather. It must tie into something very, very deep within the human psyche. Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing lovelier. Well, there's nothing worse than being caught in the rain. But there's nothing lovelier than being inside when it's raining outside. It makes it worth the rain, I would say. Even if you just happen to be walking past a bus stop when the heavens open for sort of a five-minute shower and you just stand under the bus stop, because it's almost like you've got an excuse to do nothing. Yeah. Is this why you liked smoking, John? I think that's you're kind of a big fan of that. I think you liked smoking because it was an excuse to just stand outside. Yeah, well, I liked it because well, I liked it because it's incredibly addictive stuff. <laughs> right, yeah, that's the main reason. Yeah. It does sort of almost. I love smoking for the nicotine, maybe. I don't know about you, but it also did like force you to uh, have you know fifteen to twenty moments of mindfulness every day in a mad way. Mm. Like even if you smoked whilst doing something else, there was still a sort of part of your brain was going, ah, lovely facts. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things, a bit like taking a shower, I suppose, which is this excuse to do nothing. Because in every time you're doing something else, every time you have downtime, there's this pressure to be making something of that time. 
and smoking or showering is something it's sometime in which you can only really do the one thing yeah yeah like in like a trip to the toilet yeah even in the most sort of stressful business meeting imaginable you can always say sorry guys just got to pop the loo for a couple of minutes and like obviously there are other stresses involved in loo trips especially if they're public but being able to pop into a to a loo just to sort of chill out exercise yourself yeah if i'm in a stressful meeting i ask to if i can just have a quick shower um, just to, <laughs> sorry if i'm just gonna pop for a shower <laughs> i don't think i've ever kind of indulged in mindfulness in the shower though I, I think the shower is where i have my most imaginary arguments with 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 people from my past do you, know, do, do you know what I mean? That's where my mind goes. I don't just tend to. I don't just relax and enjoy the shower. Well, mindfulness is more sort of about letting your mind go where it will, without distraction, right? So maybe it's okay for you to be going through those old arguments because you had to process them at some at some point. Right. Yeah. What a lovely way of putting it, Phil. You're a robin whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> Pull up a pew, my dear. Uh, oh, what's, thank what's you. your favourite type of uh, pub chair? I like a wooden chair with a good back and um, the sort of padded C middle bit they sit on. And then little little low arms yeah. on the side. Um, the chair should be a stu- sturdy but light. Little low arms sounds like a sort of a, a pet name for someone with an unusually proportioned body. <laughs> oh, look, it's little low arms come in for their, uh, for their sucker. <laughs> Or a pub name, actually, the little, the little Low Arms. The Little Low Arms, the Port in the Storm. We're coming up with names left and right and centre. So, Phil. Phil Wang in pubs. Pubs in Phil Wang. Where do you draw the line? <laughs> I know, I mean, it has been asked of me before, where does Phil Wang stop and the pub begin? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's no, <laughs> there's no satisfactory answer, I don't think. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure of the answer myself. <laughs> I I I love a pub. Um, it to my shame, it has not become the the central part of life that it has for so many people I know, and I, I do envy that because it seems very comforting. I mean, I was just thinking, like, when was the last time I actually went to I went to a pub, and I I can't really remember. And if the last time I can remember was maybe like a month and a bit ago, or two months ago, it it never really got fully ingrained in me. Um, because, hmm, because I, I I didn't grow up in the UK. I grew up in uh, Malaysia, and there's not really a pub culture there. There's bars, and they there there are sort of Western. There there are these bars are sort of ape the West, the idea of a of a British pub, but they kind of get it wrong, and they're called pub as in pronounced P A B. And you turn up, and it's air conditioned. It's very very cold. It's dark. There's very rarely any tasteful lighting. It's kind of garish and almost invariably seedy. So for me, the pubs were quite a seedy environment growing up. Right. And what kind of age were you when you left Malaysia? Uh, Sixteen. So to be fair, I didn't have. You know, it wasn't like I, it wasn't like I was. I, I was having to go to the pub very often. But I, it hadn't been ingrained in me as a child because I think. Even though you can't drink as a child in the UK, you are still going to the pub a lot. You're going for meals, you're accompanying your parents when they go for a drink and you have a, a lemonade or whatever. So you are being, you're having that that rhythm, that familiarity programmed into you in a way that it, it wasn't really for me. So I came in at 16, moved to Bath, 
a great pub town. Oh, yeah. A brilliant pub town. Yeah, one of the best. And so I was sort of straight in the deep end. I went into sort of never going to the pub, into like having to try and get into the pub. Right. At every possible opportunity, even though it was literally illegal. That was all, <laughs> all we were occupied with was trying to get in the pub and get served. And I found it, I found it so stressful and strange. Really? So what was the, can you remember the first bath pub you went to? There was one pub, oh, there's, the one that sticks out in my mind is a, a really brilliant pub called The Porter, which used to have, and also where I did my first ever public stand-up spot when I was 17 or 18. That's the, the, the mirth control gig, the Moles. That's right, yeah. The Moles uh, pub. Uh, what's the, what was the name of the venue? I cannot believe I forgot it. I must have done that it's venue. It's called the Comedy Cavern. Yeah, the Comedy Cavern. I must have done that gig like 20 times. So that that's the same place as Moles. Uh, the Oasis played Moles Club, didn't they? This is tiny. Oh, yeah. Room. So Moles yeah. was this was so Moles is the legendary sort of uh, indie basement dancey kind of place. And then just either to the side of that or a little bit up was um, the Porter Pub, which was connected to, and it was in sort of the basement of the Porter that the Comedy Cavern was run. Uh, by Jeff Whiting, who, who runs the sort of Mirth Control Empire. And he, I think the, that was the center of the Mirth Control Empire was the Comedy Cavern because he was based in Bath himself. And and so that's why I did my first ever sort of proper gig. And it's, a, it's brilliant, like low ceilings, really cavernous. What's great about Bath is that it's so old that all the pubs are sort of low ceilinged and, and a bit cramped and they drip just enough. <laughs> And there are all these little alcoves to slip yeah. into. Some of the great Bath pubs, I think we can throw the Raven in there, the Star. The Green Tree. The Green is Tree it? is an exceptional Salamander. Pub. The Salamander. Yeah, I love the Salamander. Yeah. The, I, I think the Star is, for me, almost the quintessential pub. However, I, I remember never quite f- finding I was there when there was an ale on I really liked. Mm. But the but the ale was well kept. But so you go there at Christmas, and there'd be a lot of sort of quite rich Christmas beers. Yeah, yeah. Bath is where I sort of took up my uh, my love of of the sort of amber ale, and I expected I expected sort of medium bodied ales to feature a lot more in my beer options throughout my life. But it turned out it's quite a Bath thing, really. Had you not really drunk as, uh, as well before coming to Bath? Then was this your introduction to not really to alcohol as well? Right. Yeah, I, okay. I, I think I got really drunk sort of once in in Sarawak in Borneo on a mixture of a JD and Coke and Malibu and Coke. <laughs> If it, if it, if it, if I could mix it with coke, it was going down the hatch. <laughs> well, I, when I went to I went to Malaysia on a sort of backpacking holiday when I was about twenty. I just remember an awful lot of bottles of beer. There was sort of I don't remember going to many bars, but I remember pretty much everywhere you go there was some access to bottled beer, and it was either Tiger or. What's the what's one of the other sort of popular beers in Malaysia? There's a lot of Tiger. There's a lot of Carlsberg. There's some Heineken. Yeah, those are the main ones. Is there a, is there a national beer or the national? Like a... I think yes, there is, but I can't remember it. You'd mainly drink Tiger, which is Singaporean, which is right next door. Oh, what? Oh, Anchor. Anchor is the Malaysian one. So there's Anchor beer, and the the standard is you get a really big green bottle. 
chilled, and then you get little glass tumblers set around your table. Is you if you have, and they someone will come over and pour the beer into small sort of tumblers. So you drink you drink beer mainly by the tumblers. A bit like sort of how they would water at a restaurant. Yeah, in the same style, but but it's quite rare, and there's def there's definitely more of a taboo around drinking. Right. Yeah, I mean it's not like it's not like a shameful thing, but it's just it's just rarer. And there is something invariably just a little seedy about it in Malaysia, and and, and it's just it's definitely not the same culture as, as as it is here. So were you kind of quite in the deep end when you got to Bath? Then was it kind of a little bit? I mean, it, I came in at sixteen to do my A levels, and it's it's a perfect storm of new country um, hormones, a uh, um, university applications, trying to build a social life within the confines of two years and and trying to get served alcohol when it was not legal for you to do so i i found it really tough but i i obliged i tried my best i didn't really know why i was doing it but i turned i remember (laughs) i remember i went to this one pub that was notorious for being the easiest to get served um, I can't remember the name now. Probably good for probably the best for, <laughs> yeah, for legal thing. reasons. Um, yeah. But I remember when I went in once and I went to the bar and I said, um, <laughs> "This is something I used to do when I started drinking." I would I liked Cronenberg uh, sixteen was it sixteen sixty four, but I I thought you had to say the full name every single time you ordered it. <laughs> so I, I would go up to the bar and say, hi, and try and be cool about it like I did this all the time. Yeah, I'll just get a pint of Cronenberg 1664, please. <laughs> and the guy just sort of looked at me and said, uh, can I see some ID? And uh, I said sort of, um, uh, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, then, and then he said, I'm, I'm afraid I can't serve you and then i said for some reason i said is there nothing you can do <laughs> <laughs> i thought so I, can neg- I can negotiate my way into this point i think is there nothing you can do and I, I i don't know what i was expecting him to return with it oh okay all right then i'll put my job on the line for some pockmarked east asian teenage boy like you were sort of talking to a receptionist in a hotel I'm going to have a bit of a stab in the dark here because I want to know what your dream pub would look like. But I've, I've got a sneaking suspicion you're more of a sort of high-ceilinged wine bar kind of guy than like a sort of small pub or tr- country pub or town pub. I, I can just see you at a long marble bar enjoying a quite classy drink. I, I'm just, that's a guess. I think you're quite a discerning drinker. I, I um I suppose so. I I I got really into wine over the last couple of years. I don't know why. It's just like it was just this really fun sort of little nerdism that I could get in that I got into, and I, I like a, I like a good glass of wine. Um and yeah, I like I love a good wine bar, but I I can never really really relax at a wine bar. It feels very much like I'm there to do a job to drink wine right, and I can never really relax. I I wish. I, my ideal drinking venue would be a pub that looks like a pub, but with the wine list of a, a wine bar. Because the pub has the ambiance that wine bars, I think, do not. 
not i think to get an, a wine bar with real ambiance you have to go to like continental europe where it's you know that's more of the culture to drink wine socially but in the uk it's quite it's really hard to find a wine bar with nice ambience but there's lots of lovely pubs but the pubs don't necessarily have very good wine it's, so you can see my predicament gentlemen have you been to corks on just off leicester square uh no oh mate if you want a wine bar with ambience let me just double check in my mind that the I've got the name right. Um, you mean Gordon's? No. no I, I, oh, Gordon's wine bar's cool. There, there is. You've just reminded me. There's a really nice one. Oh, sorry, it's called it's it's called Cork and Bottle. Sorry, it's got three hundred wines. And if if you ever look it up in your mind, it's it's like you can. It's like a low lit. Uh, place where you can also order food but it's mainly set up for people tasting wine it's downstairs just off Leicester Square and from the outside it almost looks like a sort of like a pretty run down off license frontage mm. but it's in like uh, it's almost almost in like a sort of cellar and it serves it's got about sort of 40 different cheeses so you can create your own cheese board it really is Ooh, something la. else yeah, that looks great. You, you have also reminded me of a really nice wine bar called Champers. I think Champers in Kingley Court in central London by um, Carnaby Street. Um, that's a really nice one. But uh, yeah, so if it's sort of little cavernous with sort of, sort of brick arched ceilings, love that sort of thing. But I love the interior of a pub. I like I like um, an old sort of Georgian-y kind of pub with those timber beams and plush upholstery and lots of dark wood and a big old fireplace like a really old fireplace is always is always ideal so yeah i i love a pub hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, Phil, in this pub with wine bar list, where the outside world is on pause, what are your two draft items? Well, to, in, to an homage to my birthdays, and it is still 
I think one of my favorite beers is um, a Bath Ales beer called Gem. Ooh, now you're talking. It's a delightful sort of amber ale. And it's it's refreshing, but it's got a bit of body. And <laughs> for me, it's got the nostalgic uh, element as well, because it's sort of like, it was the beer that I became used to when I started started drinking in Bath. Robin and I were always very much team spa in the Bath Ales sort of uh, lineup. Did you ever have spa? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've had spa, but Gem has always been the one that has a place in my heart. Yeah, Gem is a nice beer. I mean, if growing up in the West Country, um, you know, Bath Ales was really the you know the, a key brewery for our for our for our tender years. You know, I think because the, the, yeah, in Bristol, the Hare on the Hill, the Wellington, and in Bath, the Salamander, or the Hot Pole as well was a Bath is like a Bath Ales pub, which was really really nice. There's also a really cool restaurant now on the, on on Bath State train station called Grays. And it's in, and there's they have they have I don't know what the, the terminology is, but they have big steel tanks of Bath Ale in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's what I always kind of ten, tended to go there for a for a, a, a regrettable last beer that I really shouldn't have had before getting the train <laughs> back to Bristol. You know, <laughs> do you want to know a fun fact about Gem? It's got one of the biggest uh, variations in strength between cask and bottle. So uh, on cask, it's 4.1%. In bottle, it's 4.8%. Holy cow. How does that happen? Is picking up alcohol on the way out? Well, <laughs> often bottled ale is stronger than its cask counterpart. Oh, I see. So this is draft as opposed to bottle. Yeah. So for uh, we, have, we have actually had this explained to us on the Moon Underwater Why before, but I, I forget the reason. But I think it, I think it keeps longer if it's slightly stronger. Yeah, gotcha. But you'd have to be careful there if you were used to uh, gem as a session beer to then drink the same max. That's 20% stronger. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll, I'll drink 20% less, I guess. Good point. I'll try and figure it out, yeah. A, bit of, a couple of waters. What would be your second choice, Phil? The second choice is a porter, which I came across recently. Um, there's... A small brewery in London called Anspach and Hobday. And I know the guys a little now. And they're really cool. And they make um, a, 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 a small range of really nice beers. And their sort of flagship one is called The Porter. And it's a London porter. And it's just, it's, it's really delicious. It's really, it's got that depth. Of, I, you'll notice a theme here. It's got that depth of flavor, <laughs> but it's still refreshing, you know? Phil, it, it's 6.7%. It's a bit strong, and the the night I was introduced to it, I oh, it got it got heady quick. Mm, mm. But it was a really fun night. Are you someone that notices the strength of drinks? Because if someone handed me a six point seven percent porter, I would I would approach the evening very differently. But would, did you were you aware when you when you began your quest? I was not aware the night that how strong it was. Which I think usually means it's a it's a taste it's a good tasting beer because if you can really taste that something's hitting you right in the head, it's not quite not very pleasant. But if it's not noticeable, it usually means it's 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 good on the flavor. As far as strengths go, I I was so profoundly affected by you and Alice's podcast, John. Thank you. And, but keeping it session, that 
I without even thinking now, if I, I look at an ABV and if it's more than four point five, I I probably I usually leave it alone. Really? Yeah, I really do. Oh, that's amazing. I actually have a small dopamine. <laughs> I get a small dopamine hit if I see 3.8. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John's legacy. So so this porter then is, is what, 6%? So this is a very yeah. special occasion drink, is it? Yeah, or? something mm. bad of good has just happened. Yeah. <laughs> Is it one of these really, really rich kind of like chocolatey kind of toffee kind of flavored ones? Yeah, it is a lot. It's very chocolatey. Got a bit of that tobacco, a bit of leather. Um, Maybe not leather, actually. That's more of a wine profile. But but that sort of tobacco-y, smoky. Yeah, it's really, really, really delicious. And I I, I just like that the porter is a classically London drink. And it's made, I guess, to the strengths of London Water, which is usually a bad water, but in this case is a good water. I'm just trying to find some tasting notes of it, in, just to see if you've, if you what your palate is like. Whether you've picked <laughs> I probably up... got it completely wrong. I would say chocolate is definitely ch- chocolate and smoke. I'm, I'm quite, I'm relatively confident. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can find them in my mind. Yeah, I'm looking up some porters. So I always think tasting notes are quite okay. Here we go. Chocolate and roasted coffee. Oh, coffee! Why didn't I say coffee is right there? Herbs and spice, smooth and chocolatey, gentle bitterness. Very interesting. So you've done quite well there. Charcoal. Hey. You said you said smoke, so I think that counts as charcoal. Spiritus alcohol spice. <laughs> That's a nice turn of phrase. Licorice as well. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, actually. That's a really good one. Yeah, yeah, licorice is good. So there we have Phil's two choices. Bath Ale's Gem, 4.1% on cask, 4.8% in the bottle. Porter and Spatch and Hob Day's Porter, which is 6.8%. Although that, that might be the can, that might be the can ABV. It might, might be lower on tap. These choices are very autumnal and wintry, I've got yes. to say. Yes, yes, I, I, I love the winter. It's my favourite season. I love the autumn. No, maybe autumn is my favourite, but I love the cold. I love the cold, and I really don't like the hot, the heat. I don't like the alcohol that you have in the heat. I like a lager, but all my favourite boozers are it's cold outside kind of boozers. Yeah. So you're not like at a festival in the summer with a big pint of porter no. or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a really deep, thick, creamy porter in the middle of the Glastonbury field. So, Phil, the... The, the porter is 6.5% in a can. However, they also do a special version, which is 9.5%. No, I don't, I don't mess with that. I don't mess with that. But it's interesting that you say you don't like the heat, because my memory of Malaysia is stepping out of the airport. Well, firstly, going into the airport from the, from the plane, in the, through the little sort of tunnel they attached to the airport, and thinking, oh, this is fine. I don't know why I was so worried about the heat. And then stepping out of the front door of the what I hadn't realised was an air-conditioned airport. And it's like, you know, in winter when you walk through a shop and they've got those sort of heat fans going down. Yeah. And it was like that, but it never ended. And I was honestly like, oh, I can't do... I'm here for four weeks. I can't do this. It's crazy. Getting off the plane in Malaysia is like walking into a hairdryer. It's nuts. Did you, did you always hate the heat? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I just got I got sick of it. I had enough. I... It was so hot, and I was such a, a a big round boy, and I was a heavy boy, 
and I had dark black hair that just absorbed all the sunlight and it just got so hot and it was so relentless the heat there's no seasons the only seasons are hot and then hot and wet and I, I, I really I really didn't like the heat I really really didn't like it so I, I, I have such an appreciation for the cold here I really do and when when during, when summer happens and everyone praises the sun I find it genuinely offensive <laughs> so do you have any tip because I hate the heat as well I just cannot cope with anything above sort of 22 degrees do you have any tips for someone who grew up in a very hot country for staying cool and avoiding the heat when it comes well, uh short sandals air conditioning yeah the, this, this, that's the annoying thing about the heat it's so much harder to escape than the cold Yes. The cold, you just have to put sh shit on. The heat requires like full electrical systems and and for you to reveal more flesh and it's so much more difficult to escape the heat than the cold. And and that's why I just I love I love the cold and I love Britain and I love the winter and I love thick porters and rich amber ales. <laughs> What's your favourite? Does it exist? Pour me an ale. Are pubs real? Pubs in the distance. Are pubs real? Well, we move from thick porters and rich amber ales to your bottled choices. Now, I see that you're drinking uh, a glass of wine in the Moon Underwater tonight. Uh, you brought your own, and that's absolutely fine. What have you? What are you drinking now before we go to your choices? Yeah, I was told they do corkage here, so I brought. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is this is. Um, Chateau de Pitre. It's just it's a Bordeaux. It's, it's about it's it's about eight or nine eight pounds eight nine eight nine pounds, um, and it's just like a, it's a day to day one that I sort of had open and needed an excuse to keep drinking. I, I the thing is I love wine, but I don't actually drink very much, so it's not a very good drink for having bits of because once you open it, you have to have it within the particular time, and so I I started to sort of. I'll try and get, make excuses to get people over for dinner so that I can drink the wines that I've been wanting to drink for a while. Um, so, but this is this is perfectly decent red Bordeaux. It's good. It's good. Like I think I'm, Nigel. There's a good Nigel Slater line where he says something like, "A bottle of wine is not a challenge." But I think I've all, often fallen for that, where it's like you kind of open it and you think, "Oh, it probably won't taste very nice tomorrow. I better finish it." <laughs> and the thing is, it'll probably taste a bit better the next day. But it's, it's the days after that where you sort of start to, <laughs> start to panic if it's a good one. Yeah. So what two bottles or cans, may I say, are you taking into your dream pub? Oh, well, I, I went with bottles and I went with wine because the, um, this is sort of the only opportunity to get some wines in. And I've got a red and a white to suit all purposes. This other thing about wine for me is I, I love it, but I only really have it with food. I don't drink it on its own. So I, I wanted to cover the basis here. Um, I've gone for two wines. The white, I've gone for uh, pretty much any New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Lovely. 
is really nice. Um, there's a brand I really like called Dog Point, which is a, a Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, and it's uh, it's got the classic so uh, it's got the classic New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc profiles of like tropical fruits and lime and gooseberry, but it's also got a, a bit of a, a a weight to it. It's got a bit. There's a very unique taste of Dog Point Sauvignon Blanc, but any New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc I'm pretty happy with. And then I'll go with Asian food, which is good. It's interesting how you notice this is probably something supermarkets do a lot of research into, like tastes in grapes and countries. But I've not seen any sort of long reads or news articles about it, but the, the Sauvignon Blanc does seem to be the current British favourite wine. Mm. But that's obviously evolved over time. Because I went into Tesco today to buy some wine. I ended up getting a bottle of Black Tower because <laughs> it was the weakest wine they had. In fact, I'm going to open it up late, later on tonight in the Moon Underwater. Um, but the, the selection of... I was just frustrated on my soapbox about Rieslings because there were only two Rieslings. One was like Tesco own brand and the other one was an Australian strong Riesling. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how have I got a choice of probably 30 Sauvignon Blancs and one or two Rieslings? But it is a very, very drinkable wine. It is. And Sauvignon Blanc, the New Zealand Sauvignon Sauvignon Blanc was such an explosion that it kind of took over the sort of casual white wine market everywhere, pretty much. What was it before then? What was kind of trendy before that came along? Uh, It was, I reckon before then it was Pinot Grigio. Right. And before then it was Chardonnay. Yeah. Yeah, I think something along those lines. Yeah. But it is definitely like, for a long time I wasn't, really much of a wine drinker but then i think it was when we interviewed danny wallace on this podcast and um he said you know what just any marlborough sauvignon blanc and since then you know that has that has kind of uh guided me and i think it was just last summer just when the euros were on i started drinking lots of sauvignon blanc because i'm such a ruddy bloke watching football um but yeah i just got so into it then because i just think it hasn't I don't know what it and is. It's such good value. It's not. It's like it's so cheap for the how, how high the quality is. Yeah, I just find some. I don't know. It's just this is complete subjective nonsense. But I find a lot of white wine quite headachey, and this is just very like refreshing and it's fruity and you get that minerality. But it's yeah. like I don't know. It, it it just feels. It's just really tasty. Uh, you know, you can yeah. <laughs> that's my tasting notes yeah and it's just made well that's the thing it's made well I mean the headachey stuff is just when it's not made very well yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah the New Zealand white wines are made very well so yeah so that's like a catch all if I'm having some Asian food at the pub which mm. there's plenty of it also I mean if you like if you like minerally wines Rob you should also uh, check out like a Chablis yes or um, Sancerre a Sancerre I love a Sancerre. And and maybe some of the Riesling, uh, not Riesling, some of the Sauvignon Blancs from the Loire. Oh, yeah, the Loire. The Loire. Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone for a Dog Point Sauvignon Blanc there, Phil, which I'm going to now try because I love an SB. Uh, what's your second bottle? My second bottle is a red wine, and this is a legendary, I guess kind of a cult wine. And I've mentioned it before, but I just love it so much. It's Chateau Moussa. It's a, a wine from Lebanon. It's a really legendary, legendary Lebanese chateau, and they make sort of kind of Bordeaux blends, red blends. But their techniques are quite natural, 
not I'm not a big natural wine guy, but they, they have quite low intervention processes, and so without being full blown natural wine, and so it's sort of it's got a Bordeaux character, but with a kind of there's always a bit of interest, and depending on the vintage, there's always a slightly different. Uh, interesting taste in there. So one I had recently just had a real sort of barnyard kind of uh, sense on the nose sort of hay and uh, English countryside. Like cow shit. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> hay and cow shit. Barnyard's a word for it. Um, how are you spelling Mousson? I have a feeling uh, Dan Snow chose a, a Lebanese wine when he was on the huh. on the show, yeah. Um, M-U-S-A-R. Chateau Moussard. Chateau Moussard. I'm, I'm going to try that as well because the, my local Majestic Wine has a sort of, um, well, it wouldn't be New World. It's almost like they have a special section for sort of like far and wide or something. And it has wines from Greece and Lebanon and like Polish wine and Ukrainian wine. So I might give, I'll give the Chateau Moussard a go, mate. From a sort of historical standpoint, which I like to get nerdy about, is like wine was basically started by the ancient Phoenicians, who sort of started the wine. You know, they are probably the first people to make wine from grapes, and the Phoenicians lived in where what is modern day Lebanon. But their winemaking techniques spread through the Mediterranean to Greece, through Rome, and then from Rome into France and Italy, and then France came to take over Lebanon centuries down the line. And so sort of kind of, I'm not sure of reintroduced winemaking, but the place is called Chateau Moussa. So this ancient tradition that started in, with the Phoenicians sort of made, gone full circle and come back under the guise of the French. It's, uh, it's so to me, just from a nerdy historical sense, there's a sense of like full circle with Chateau Moussa. Phil, tell me about your secret wine parties that you go to with Ed Gamble that I've not been invited to yet. <laughs> Tell me about your contacts in top elite wine level industries, Phil, that you're keeping pretty close to your chest. Well, there's only so many uh, chairs at the table. Uh, oh, yeah. John, I'm aware of that, only... mate. I'm aware of that. There's no chair for Johnny J.I. who just wants a big swig with all the lads. Well, I started expressing sort of a lot of interest in wine on, 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 my, on my podcast with Pierre, Bud Pod. And uh, we had a listener, a guy called Freddie, who works in wine, and he and he is also a fan of um, Off Menu, which is Ed's podcast. And he was like, "Guys, if you want to uh, try some wine, uh, I'd love to host you." So we started hanging out with Freddie together and uh, drinking some nice wines. And uh, it's yeah, it's it's a fun time. It's a fun time, uh, John. But it's not that fun. <laughs> Sounds sounds pretty fun, uh, from what I've been told by Mr. Edward Stevenson Gamble. There's some good stuff, and we were once we were once um, <laughs> Freddie once opened for us um, a port, a Sandeman port from 1961. 1961. The bottle had been around. As you're drinking this port, going, this was picked before the Bay of Pigs. It's it's, it's incredible <laughs> stuff to drink something like that. Yeah. And then we sacrificed a child. Any chance yeah. that this uh, mysterious Freddy character has ever listened to The Moon Underwater? Because he seems to like a podcast about food and a podcast about Ooh. two friends. And he's, <laughs> and he's into wine. 
Maybe stop going on about realms. We'd probably get invited to pub openings <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> okay, Freddie, if you're listening, perhaps because after this I've texted uh, Phil to make him send you this episode, more than happy to come and try uh, a 1960 port or, or even explore the world of Rieslings with you. Oh, he's got some great Rieslings. He's oh, a big Riesling guy. I, well, I, do you like a dry Riesling or a sweet Riesling? Sweet, please. Oh, really? I'm a dry guy. I like a dry. Yeah, they. I don't. They are a little bit. Uh, I don't like the petrol flavour. I have, when it comes to white wine, a sweet tooth, and the problem is, as I've said before, that leads you into some very cheap bottom shelf territory. <laughs> but I want. I want to try the real piece de resistance. Do you, do you... Do you like the sort of more aromatic ones, like a Gewurztraminer no, or anything I, like that? I don't like the ones. That, uh, there's one I had f- from Majestic that tasted so much like lychees that it was <laughs> like it was quite disconcerting. It was so floral. <laughs> it was like a sort of mixture of drinking Parma violets and and lychees. I just I I like the sort of sweet or medium classic German Rieslings. Where, where do you stand on Tokai, Phil and John? I've not I've not had one, I don't think. Really? No. Ah. I should, I don't know. It's on my list. It's on my list, Robin. <laughs> I, ha- I had, an, someone bought me a bottle of Tokai once as a moving me? in present. Yes, you did. <laughs> and I really liked it, but it's, Tokai is more of a dessert wine. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a quaffing wine. No, no, but it's if when you get a good one, yeah, and that honey-like drink goes down. You th- sorry, my v- vocabulary's left me a bit today. I like so goes I down. T- <laughs> <laughs> I like Just hearing about the drink go down. A drink as well. When the drink goes down your neck, uh, and it, and it tastes like honey, you really go, "Oh, that's nice." Do you know what I think? If I was offered it at the end of a meal with some very astringent cheeses. I would totally go for it. But the problem was I opened a bottle and poured myself like a wine glass portion. And it was it was like drinking honey water. It was lovely. But I think you need it's definitely more what's the opposite of an aperitif? Digestive. It's a digestive. Which comes after the meal? Digestive, yeah, isn't it? It's like, it's I'd a... say it's it's a post meal kind of little bit like a limoncello. Mm. Yes. You like a limoncello? Love a limoncello, mate. Really? Yeah. Oh, I find it too harsh. I find it too too lemony. You've got to get a good one. You've got to get a good one. Too much limon. Limoncello in there for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> a little more Jacqueline Dupre. <laughs> <laughs> she played the cello, didn't she? Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, Phil, what a pub this is shaping up to be. It's pub ambience, wine bar, wine list. The outside world is on pause, and so far some names in contention are the Little Low Arms and the Port in the Storm. Uh, on draft, we have Bath Ale's Gem, we have Anspach and Hobday Porter at a whopping 6.5%, Dog Point Sauvignon Blanc and Chateau Moussard from Lebanon. But before we end part one, uh, we head into the Moon Underwater pub quiz with the lovely Robin Allender. <laughs> Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know, alas, 
Oscar is bigger? That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Thank you, John. Welcome to this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. And just to go back to horse latitudes, a likely and documented explanation is that the term is derived from the dead horse ritual of semen. In this practice, the semen paraded a straw-stuffed effigy of a horse around the deck before throwing it overboard. So um, I don't know why why they were called horse latitudes because of that. Anyway, <laughs> Quizmaster, full of arcane knowledge. That's just Wikipedia. But this week's pub quiz, as ever, it's three questions and the answers are in part two. This week's pub quiz is about order. We all like order, don't we? John, do you like order? I don't think I like anything more than I like order. Good. Well, I think you might like this pub quiz. So what I'm going to do is ask you three questions, and we'll see how well we all did in part two. So question one is about planets. Question one, what is the order of the planets, starting with the closest to the sun? Okay, and sub-question to question one, how many movements are there in Holst's planets suite? So that's question one. Question two, Henry VIII. Can you name Henry VIII's wives in order and... Tell me their fates. Little sub-question there. And question three. You both selected an album before we started this sesh in The Moon Underwater. Can you name me the track listing of one of your favourite albums in order without looking? So, John, what did you decide to do? I decided on Astral Weeks. Astral Weeks. By Phil, Morrison. have you got an album? But Phil should be able to change his choice now he knows the parameters of the game. Oh, okay, you know the parameters. Because I guessed okay. what was coming. Okay, okay, okay. I see, I see, I see. Um, so what's an album you think you could do the track listing up in order? I don't know albums very well, but just from the number of times I've listened to it, I'm, I feel like my best bet is Abbey Road by The Beatles. Wow, that's a tricky one, because you got the medley. Yeah, but the medley's probably the easiest bit, but the yeah, the rest I'm not so sure about, but I'll try. Well, we'll, we'll, see, we'll give it a go. That sounds fascinating. Okay, and if you want to play along at home, think of an album, and do the track listing yourself. So it's Planets, Wives, Album of One's Own Choice. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. fantastic. It's a nice... That would be a superb round in a pub quiz, where people can really get debating in their teams. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. A lot of discussion. A lot of hubbub as a quiz. A lot master. of hubbub. A lot of hubbub. Yeah, yeah. A superb, orderly pub quiz there from Robin Allender. But to find out more of uh, Phil Wang's orders, you'll have to check out part two of The Moon Underwater. And a reminder that you can support us on Patreon, moonunderpod.com, and find out about future live events. We'll be having some more live ones soon. So do keep abreast of what's happening because those live events. They ain't half fun, they ain't half messy. See you back in part two. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.